Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to. Shit, I just forgot the name of the show. Okay, here we go. <laughs> hello everyone, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is. Tim Phillips. Tim, not a stranger to the show by any stretch nope. of the imagination. <laughs> offering subtle hints about what review we're coming coming in here with today if anyone's heard of the film we're, we're reviewing today <laughs> that's that's sadly true unfortunately um when we were talking about that off air how i i didn't even know i had put it on our list of upcoming movies to review so uh we're off to a good start all around yeah I, thanks for unknowingly putting that there adam it was a <laughs> i went through the list googled it, it looked interesting so yeah we've got a good title this week the stranger okay <laughs> when we will uh we'll hopefully convince others to maybe check it out and boost that algorithm end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new psychological crime thriller, The Stranger, which you can now stream on Netflix, allegedly. Um, well, we did. It's not an alleged. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, that's in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to look at uh, some of the other likely very well-hidden gems on Netflix, because <laughs> there, there are a lot of them. This is an interesting week to, to sort of talk about Netflix, because uh, you may have noticed that they introduced their new ad tier, um, where you can, I think it's nine ninety nine a month. You can get Netflix with ads, so you get it a little cheaper. Hmm. Although you don't get um, some of the the other features like the like the high def presentation. I also don't think you can download stuff like you can on some of the higher tiers of Twitter. Or excuse me, on Netflix. So Twitter's the other story this week. So maybe that's why I'm confusing things. But, Did um, Elon Musk take over Netflix too? Or? Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? It's like, yeah. no, I would not be showing any more Netflix with uh, people who are women or uh, minorities as leads because that is, uh, yeah, that's my Elon Musk impression. That's pretty um, good. Yeah, it's pretty spot on. I mean, I think he's made a mess of. <laughs> He's definitely made a mess of Twitter, so maybe he can only like really screw up one big tech company at a time, uh, thankfully. But um, getting back to the thread, um, <laughs> Netflix uh, has been having a lot of trouble this year. And I think, you know, just speaking for myself, a lot of that has to do with just, you know, them spending money on stuff, buying up all kinds of content. And then like the stranger, just basically burying it. Uh, like maybe you see it in like the like the banner when you open Netflix, open Netflix for like a week, but then it like disappears and and you never hear about it again, um, because then then you have like three other things, uh, three other Netflix originals coming on uh, the very next day. Yeah, they buy up a lot of content, and then there's so much competition now too, right? You can right go on Apple, you can go on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Like- Every everyone Netflix used to be the only game in town, like mm. pretty much what, five years ago. They were the, really the main player, and now it's just market's been saturated with all these areas you can stream, mm. stream movies, and them buying up all this 
all this content too. Like you said, it just ends up getting buried and, mm. you know, people are so, especially movies too, right? Right. Like people want to watch, people want to watch TV series and maybe documentaries, but original fiction films aren't usually the highest priority. Uh, let's get into our three. We've each chosen three hidden gems on the Netflix. Uh, so Tim, why don't you go first? What's your first hidden gem? Yeah, so I've selected three hidden gems. Um, obviously, films I've seen. I, I was looking through the list of obviously. <laughs> I was looking through the <laughs> list of Netflix. And I'm like, these these would be good ones to watch. But there's actually a, a lot I haven't watched. Like you were saying, um, probably falling in that demographic where I'm watching series and spending my time doing other things and watching original films. But number, the first one on my list is Atlantics mm. um, from 2019. Uh, which was distributed through Netflix. Uh, it's a 2019 Senegalese supernatural romantic comedy. Uh, so it's based out of Africa, uh, directed by Maddie Diop. Um, first black woman to direct a film that was in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reviewed this a few years back, right near the start, yes, of, the, start of the pandemic, I, right. when we're <laughs> looking for content on Netflix. And... Uh, it's a very interesting film and I I'm selecting it. I, I don't think it's a perfect movie. It might not even, I don't think it even made my top five that year, but it is a very interesting film and something, you know, not your run of the mill film. And, and if you're looking for a hidden gem on Netflix, this would be a good option uh, because it really mixes sort of gritty realism with supernatural tones as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Atlantic ocean is very symbolic in it um, because it takes place in Dakar, um, which is right on the coast of the Atlantic ocean. And the ocean represents sort of change, death, Mm. life. Mm. And so you've got all the symbolism going on. And also you've got this really realistic sort of economic tale about uh, these workers who are not being paid. They're, they're working on this high rise building in the city mm-hmm. and they're not getting paid for their labor unscrupulous bosses <laughs> aren't are, are giving them any of their wages. Um, so they end up traveling uh, by sea to go to Spain and they get lost at sea. And then that's when the supernatural aspects start happening. And in the middle of this whole story, there's, a romance between Ada and Suleiman. Mm. Suleiman's one of the workers and he disappears at sea. And then Ada is forced into an arranged marriage with Omar, who's just this sort of rich bastard <laughs> that she has to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's forced into a marriage with him. Um, and during their wedding night, their bed is set on fire mysteriously Mm-hmm. Um, and you suspect Suleiman was involved in that. And there's so the many ghost of Suleiman, the ghost of Suleiman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many interesting aspects in it. And then they bring in this detective to look into, the, into the crime. And then Suleiman like, um, takes over his body at a certain point. And it's just, it's really, the tone's interesting because it's so realistic like if you watched it without any subtitles or the volume on or anything, you'd think, okay, 
other than a, f- a few supernatural scenes, you'd think, okay, this is just like working class drama in this really interesting geographic locale. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a-, a lot more to it. And it's something you're, you know, you're probably not going to see otherwise it's not really being promoted uh you know at, at movie theaters uh, right. maybe if you've got a really independent rep cinema might show it but um netflix is kind of the place t- to find it and it being distributed by netflix it's it's been on i think it's still on netflix and uh mm-hmm. it's been there for years now so i, I would recommend it yeah it gives you a d- just different perspective on the world um social political um topics but also really interesting supernatural topics as well i thought it was a yeah very very interesting movie and i'd I'd recommend it take a look i'd say that's a great hidden gem on netflix Mm -hmm. uh it is a great hidden gem and um yeah i i do remember reviewing that and um yeah it's one of those things i mean it's one of the gifts of netflix is that they will you know, you can watch a, a supernatural romantic comedy from Senegal, and uh, that's something you can't get. Well, I, I shouldn't say you can't get that on like your your on like the Cineplex site from their rental store or anything like that. But it, I mean, it definitely wouldn't be easy to find. Um, for my first one, and I, I came at this from a point of view, it's like I didn't want to do anything we had reviewed on the show because we've actually done a lot of these Netflix originals. Um, so I was looking at stuff I've watched, but we hadn't reviewed. And so uh, this one came up and it's called Cargo. It's from 2018, also an Australian film. Hmm. And uh, it stars Martin Freeman. And it's essentially a zombie movie, although no one says zombie. It's it's not like the, the, the virus going around isn't uh, supernatural like that. It's, it's essentially like a, a form of rabies that uh, makes people, I guess, zombie-like um turns to monstrous uh and it's about uh martin freeman as a father uh he and his wife are trying to find uh some refuge for the for themselves and their baby um they're you know traveling by boat but occasionally have to go ashore to find supplies uh inevitably um the wife gets attacked and becomes zombified herself inevitably martin freeman gets bit and so he has he has like a, essentially two days before he becomes a zombie to get his baby somewhere safe or to someone safe. And uh, the, the path he ends up choosing, he, he ends up teaming up with this um, indigenous uh, teenager um, and, and she's going to lead them to uh, there's this backstory about how all the indigenous people in Australia have essentially, you know, become a, an insular society and uh, have gone back to their traditional ways and are keeping strangers out. But in the, and in the process, have created some sanctuary. This is where Cargo and the Canadian movie Blood Quantum are kind of distant cousins, and the same way Canadians and Australians are kind of distant cousins. Um, so it, it's it's a harrowing story. It's got a lot of the same trappings of the zombie movie. It's got humans who've you know set up their own fiefdoms and have become the worst form of themselves. But the heart of the film is this bond between Freeman, his daughter, um, this indigenous teen who's who's helping them um, find sanctuary. Um, it is all about trying to help, trying to find a sanctuary for the baby. 
Um, so hopefully she might be able to grow up in a, an environment that's, you know, stable and nurturing and um, where she's protected. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's really pretty emotionally wretching for a zombie movie, um, which makes it kind of stand out on its own because zombie movies aren't typically known for their sentiment um, in so much as they're known for their like kind of commitment to nihilism. And that's was that's what kind of makes it really really refreshing. It's like emotional wretching, emotionally wretching at the end um, when uh, everything comes to its conclusion. Um, it, it's it's really incredibly touching and emotional. And for people who like horror, um, but maybe have friends or significant others who aren't fans of the genre, I mean, this is relatively light on gore. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of perfect in that way. It's it's an it's an emotional movie. It's got great drama. It's got great tension, um, but it's not overly gory. It's a zombie movie that um, has a good heart, which is not something you can say about almost any zombie movie. So uh, Cargo's uh, another example of great Australian cinema on Netflix that might be buried underneath all the true crime stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, why don't you get to your second pick? Yeah, when you were mentioning that one, I was thinking Warm Bodies, too, right? That's a good, mm-hmm. that's a sort of heartwarming, more of a comedy in a lot of ways. Yeah, those are uh, the two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, unlike you, Adam, I'm choosing uh, films we have reviewed before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my, my second pick, I don't think we can review too much. Um, it's one we both really liked. And I think you put it on your best of list one year, but mm. still there. Don't know how much attention it gets. Uh, Nobody knows I'm here mm-hmm. from 2020, mm-hmm. which is the Chilean Netflix first Chilean film. Um, it directed by Gaspar Antillo and produced by Pablo Lorraine, who is having quite the uh, career. Um, definitely one of Chile's top filmmakers, and he's gone on to direct. Spencer was one of his more mm-hmm. recent films. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jorge Garcia in the lead. Mm-hmm. I just think he, he's a, he, the camera loves him, which is interesting. I yeah. find yeah. Um, cause he's a, he's a big guy. And, uh, but I think, yeah, the camera, he has a way of really seducing the camera. And uh, I know when we reviewed uh, the monsters movie. I don't even think I brought him up. He played, um, lo- or a floop. Yeah. He was the, yeah. He was the Igor. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as we discussed, like the start of the monsters didn't really do much for me. I thought it was kind of a waste <laughs> of time. Right. <laughs> but, um, Rob, yeah. Rob zombies monsters movie that we reviewed last time I was on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I thought he, he, your eyes were drawn to him in that. And I think your eyes are definitely drawn to him in this. And it's a much better story um, about regret about him. Li- he lives on this remote Island in Chile with mm-hmm. his uncle sort of mm-hmm. hiding from the world uh, because he's had a, he had a brush with fame when he was a, a child and didn't turn out too well. He was sort mm-hmm. of, he was sort of the original 
uh, kind of like a Millie Vanilli situation. He was the singer and there was a better looking uh, child who was the face of his singing mm-hmm. uh, and very controversial episode. <laughs> and then he, he um, on the island, keeps to himself, but ends up in a situation where he does sing his famous song and it is videoed and shown online and becomes a viral video. And then everybody rediscovers him. And now he has to face this attention that he's been avoiding for years. And Garcia in the lead, I I think amazing in this film. Uh, It's, you know, it's a pretty fairly simple premise, but I think they do a great job Mm. committing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, totally believe that he's you know this recluse out on this island who just doesn't want any part of this anymore and you see all the pain that this this new viral video you know Mm. brings back to his life all these memories regrets from the past Mm -hmm. and it's a a great movie uh a foreign another foreign language film you find on on netflix um that once again you're probably not going to find in a lot of <laughs> other areas unless you're searching for it. Right. So, mm. um, yeah, that's number two on my list is nobody knows I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I, just an awesome movie I found. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I have nothing left to say about nobody knows I'm here except like, like see it. Um, and like that song is, is so addictive. Cause as soon as you said like, nobody knows I'm here. I'm like, nobody knows I'm here. Um, it's, it's, it's like the, the song is just, it's glue. It sticks to you. Um, so my number two is, uh, oddly enough, 1922, uh, which is a Stephen King adaptation of a novella that he wrote. Also Australian connection. Um, Zach Hilditch, uh, wrote and directed it. Um, I, I saw somebody describe it in a review as, uh, Terrence Malick makes the telltale heart, which is pretty apt um because it is about a farmer in 1922 nebraska who essentially kills his wife um and then buries her in the well on the property uh to uh she's pushing him to sell the farm he doesn't want to sell the farm he's like desperately trying to cling on to a life and a hope but you know is kind of over um he drags his son into it as well he has his son help him kill the wife and uh get rid of her remains um and then in in the process you know as they after they toss her down the well they see the rats start to um eat her uh eat her remains and the the rats become let's just say um if if your like problem area is rats this (laughs) is not the movie for you um because this is even worse than you know, Willard in, in Willard, many cases. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the rats are this kind of uh, pestilence that literally follows this guy around. Uh, this farmer, his guilt is is sort of personified in this, this non-strom wave of rats that kind of follow him around. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a beautifully shot film. Um, you have Thomas Jane, who knows how to work, you know, Stephen King material because um, he was in The Mist. Um, if the kid in it, I can't remember the kid's name. I didn't write it down. It's also good. Molly Parker plays the wife and Molly Parker has this really great 
sort of otherworldly quality. So when she shows up as her ghost, uh, as the film goes on, it, it um, that's that's really punchy. And yeah, it's it's um, it's probably one of the best King adaptations. It's I mean, there are a lot of King adaptations on Netflix too, which is another reason why I pulled this because you get even the recent one, uh, Mister Hagerman's phone um which i think i haven't seen yet but it looks like it might be a bit closer to 1922 than a good marriage was and then you have gerald's game too which you know you get uh, a two-hander with bruce greenwood and, and carla gugino there which is um probably upper strata king as well but 1922 is definitely the best one there's like real artistry to it and, and it, it really does like if this sounds intriguing to you like terrence malick does the telltale heart except it's a stephen king story uh yeah that's i mean that's a pretty good elevator pitch right there and and the movie really delivers on that promise too so 1922 one of the better king adaptations you will find especially at this point in the the oeuvre of king adaptations um it's still kind of surprising i mean the recent in recent years it's like this it and dr sleep are probably like the king trifecta of sort of recent King adaptation. So, um, and I think they're probably all conveniently on Netflix right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Mm -hmm. I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. That's well, that's the point of this segment. It's... <laughs> <laughs> now I can watch ones. Can we review this one five years later or no? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, if, if the content ever stops coming, we might have to, but, um, okay. All right, let's get to your number three then. Yeah, number three on my list is yeah another movie we're familiar with. Um, it's called A Cop Movie mm -hmm. from 2021. Uh, it's it, it's a very, very interesting film. Um, once again, not a perfect film, but it's, mm. it's a documentary that's very creative. Um, you feel like you're watching you're watching a fiction film. Uh, it's as I said, from Mexico, a Mexican documentary by Al right. Alonzo Ruiz Palacios, mm -hmm. um, who's also directed episodes of Narcos Mexico. Um, and it has two actors in it. So you're following it like it's, uh, you know, an original film here. Uh, and there's it's uh, their story, though. It's a nonfiction story of a love affair between two Mexican police officers and who are dubbed the love patrol uh, by the uh, <laughs> their fellow police officers. That's right. So yeah. It's kind of fun and light in that regard. However, you do get a, a true glimpse into the, the crimes they they're they have to solve the the just the disturbances that they have to the line of danger they have to go into. Um, and it's all shot in a really really creative cinematic way mm -hmm. it's kind of like errol morris documentaries um mm -hmm. where you know the reenactments are just so good you think is this like a scorsese movie or is this like really <laughs> <laughs> or is this a documentary right mm -hmm. um and yeah and it does a great job breaking down the fourth wall so you, the actors are revealed to be actors and then it goes gets meta into them rehearsing for the role or auditioning. And then, and then I think rehearsing for the role and, and then talking about, 
you know, what they put into the role, their method behind their acting. Uh, so it, it's, it's something unlike anything I'd ever truly seen before, where it has all these different elements going on at the same time. And, and I think it works. You really care for these characters who end up being actors <laughs> and, uh, it shows a really good glimpse into what really happens, um, w- with a police department, especially in Mexico. Uh, a lot of the procedural stuff that, that goes on, uh, as well as, you know, these are human beings and, you know, what's their life like and how do they have a romance in in these circumstances? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have found it if it wasn't for Netflix. Once again, uh, it came out in 2021. Yeah. That, uh, cop movie is a good one because I like how experimental it is. Um, my last pick is kind of much more straightforward. It was a Sundance movie that Netflix bought it's called To the Bone, and it's uh, from Marty Noxon, who people may remember or recognize more for her TV work. Uh, she's done shows, really kind of well-known and shows with big fan bases, so like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one. Uh, Glee is maybe her most recent TV contribution. So, you know, this is a woman who knows how to write compelling, strong female characters and and um she's drawing from real life in this because it's uh mixed in with some of her uh experiences battling eating disorders so it's about this young woman named ellie who's kind of in and out of uh various programs to try and deal with her eating disorder she's not terribly likable but she is kind of compelling in her own way lily collins who people may recognize but she hasn't gotten like too many opportunities to really shine in in particular roles i mean i think her probably most famous role is emily what is it was that show emily from paris emily in paris and yeah. you know which is uh utterly fluff <laughs> but um yeah here she gets to do some like real capital a-, a acting um also great cast like carrie preston plays her stepmother and carrie preston is is uh so great and everything where she turns up also an unusual I mean, given where he is in his career right now, Keanu Reeves is the 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 doctor who's the head of the program that uh, the Ellie character is currently in, and it's so weird to see Keanu Reeves play something as like so static and ordinary as a doctor, um, where he's not like you know expertly throwing knives at people or riding motorcycles through explosions and things. Um, but it's it's <laughs> it's you know because Keanu is so likable, it's nice to see him do something a little more down to earth. Um, and yeah, everyone's just really great in it. I, there, there was a bit of controversy around this movie about whether or not it was sort of glamorizing eating disorders. I don't think so. Um, I think that's a kind of mirage because of, uh, you know, the cast and how it's, this is a, kind of like a brightly lit movie and, um, not kind of solemn and dark and, and, and kind of crusty. It, it's, it's trying to really, invite you in so you can look at these characters and and understand their struggles and also understand that eating disorders are not like hey snap your fingers and you get over it um it's it's a lifelong struggle and everybody has their reasons and um one size does not fit all which is you know a lot of addiction stories so um to the bone uh an interesting artifact on on the netflix uh funny and dramatic and uh sad and 
uh, all of that and with, you know, great performances from a lot of interesting actors and great showcase for Lily Collins and Keanu Reeves, um, two people you don't typically think of as as actors, uh, but they, boy, can they act and they, they get a good chance to show it into the bone. So that's worth checking yeah. out, too. Yeah, bring in. Yeah, humor brings people in, right? So right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Marty Noxon knows how to do that because you know if you've seen uh, any of her work on you know Buffy and all that, she can mix humor in the pathos. So, so that's some of the hidden stuff on Netflix. Um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep that theme up by talking about the so well hidden. Even I didn't remember. I put it on the list uh, for the for for movies we should look at. Um, it's called The Stranger, and uh, we're going to talk about it after the break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. a clip from The Stranger. It is a new film from writer-director Thomas M. Wright, and it stars Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, Jada Alberts, Cormac Wright, Stephen Mazukas, and Matthew Sutherland, although we could probably end it right after Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris, because <laughs> um, that's really, that's where the focus is. And, you know, interesting poster for this. Um, I love how Netflix produces posters, because uh, you know, it's not like you go to the cinema and but anyway yeah. uh the the poster for this is kind of uh edgerton and harris sort of uh their faces blended and uh it's funny how you know it doesn't look like it when you look at the poster it doesn't look like two different actors you have to kind of pay very careful attention to understand you're looking at the melding of two different actors faces um which i think is probably the point uh, of the of the film yeah that's <laughs> the sides of the same coin 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. When I looked at the poster too, at first I thought it was just the um, thought it was just Sean Harris there, but then mm. it was Edgerton and Harris together. Mm. Yeah, because mm. yeah, there's a lot of you know a theme of identity in this too, right? Right. Um, they both go by different names. Um, yeah, they're both. Both aliases too. They both yeah. go by aliases through all the the whole movie. Yeah. Both go by aliases. Both are have sort of troubled lives in different ways. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought yeah. Thanks for including this on the list, though, Adam. Um, <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I was, <laughs> so, I was just so eager. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I uh, yeah. So I I. I was kind of stumped this week wasn't really sure i looked looked at i googled it and then i was like this looks pretty interesting i think it is a definitely a compelling compelling slow burn Mm. movie that's combination psychological thriller and really interesting police procedural as well Mm -hmm. um and i yeah and the one thing i would i would say before we talk any more about it mm. um even even talking about like what happens in the first half hour or so is like a spoiler right so right. yeah i think it was good that i knew nothing re- i knew nothing about this before i watched it yeah um so anybody listening now <laughs> who wants to, <laughs> before we talk any further i would say you know tune into the recording later but uh just watch it. And then I think you'd have the best experience because it's, I, I really like how it was done. Cause it's so mysterious in about the first half hour of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you have, uh, you have Sean Harris, who's Henry, right. Mm-hmm. Who's on a, on a bus and just this down on his luck guy on this bus. And all of a sudden the stranger starts talking to him and, ingratiating himself with him and you're wondering okay like what's this about and that stranger's name is paul and paul sort of takes takes henry under his wings says, you come with me um i can get you work and mm-hmm. the work is like doing a delivery for like the mob it, it's pretty obvious that they're a criminal organization okay yeah. we just have to drive this over here hand this to this person and then from there, Paul introduced him to the really, as you were saying, the lead actor, Joel Edgerton, who plays a, a character under the alias Mark Frame, mm-hmm. who's there to collect him at that point and, and build a friendship with him, get closer to him. And what they both these individuals say to Henry, this sort of disturbed man, is you just tell us everything. you be honest with us. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're going to be part of this criminal organization. <laughs> we want to know what you've done. Tell right. us what you've done. And then, then you realize it, well, it, they, they just put it out there that this is a police operation, right? It's a sting operation mm-hmm. to get to the bottom of this, this man who they suspect has abducted a child and, you know, most likely murdered a child. And it's, and it's uh, yeah, really dark content. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, once that's revealed, but it takes about a half hour for that to be revealed. So you're not really sure like what, what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then the whole police operation happens from there. And mm-hmm. for most of it, like you said, it's like a two hander between these two, two characters who are maybe, you know, different sides of the same coin. Um, but, and the police officer, Mark frame is there to, to really get closer and get, get information. And then it, it goes, it gets interesting from there because there's like all these scenes between the two of them when they're driving where slowly the alleged criminal starts opening up. Mm. Cause at the start, he's all, he has this tone about him. It's like mumbly, really yeah. shy mumbly. Yeah. And through this sort of, the psychological detective police work, Mark frame, the officer is able to get this gentleman to open up. And then he starts just talking about all kinds of things. And in this louder voice, his voice just gets louder and, and more distinguishable as it goes on, as he builds confidence. Right. Yeah. That was interesting with the situation. And and so it's really interesting, like two hander between these two characters. And then I thought the police operation, when it was, uh, unveiled even further um what when mark frames taking him to the big boss to john this is the big <laughs> boss mm-hmm. i i thought that that was very interesting and it's and watching it i was like okay does this does this happen this just seems fictional to me and then finding out later that this is it's totally based tactic on, yeah yeah totally based on a true it's called like the big boss yeah i think they call it yeah um yeah, the sort of like the big boss ruse to get people to to give information. People who are kind of like isolated, who they know aren't going to talk to anybody besides this criminal organization they've concocted. And I, I thought that was, I thought that was compelling. And the whole movie's done in this really sort of like slow burn way. It's almost like a foreign language movie at the beginning too, with the because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't understand what they're saying sometimes, right? It's Australian, yeah. Um, with this, you know, mumbly antagonist in it, right? You don't really, you can't really capture everything, but um, as it goes on, it just becomes revealed. And I, I think it's very effective, very disciplined too. Mm. Um, mm. Could have gone in. A, a lot of different directions with subplots and, but it's really focused on this relationship uh, and how are the police going to get information from, from this individual. So Mm -hmm. I really like that. I think there could, could have been other ways to tell a story that might've been as effective and maybe it had more action in it, but I like the, the slow burn way they, they went about this movie. Yeah, and it's also kind of a jumbled narrative too. It doesn't unfold kind of directly. It, it's presented as as you watch um, Mark and um, Henry um, interact and go about their uh, alleged criminal skullduggery for the the Mister Big. Um, it's also there's also this parallel investigation of them digging into Henry and you know learn you know reconstructing the timeline of the day that the boy was because it was it's something like 10 years later after the boy originally disappeared that they've come and and are taking a a deeper look at henry um and so it's presented as parallel tracks but you learn somewhere i guess it's around maybe the end of the second act that it's actually 
the, the police investigation that has been done was actually before the very first scene of the film where Henry's on the bus back home after the police have, have interrogated him the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, yeah, it, boy, is that, you know, and then there's like all these like cut scenes of like these like weird dreams and nightmares that Mark is having um, where, you know, he's driving along at night with Henry for something we see a thousand times in the film. Then Henry opens his mouth and like weird buzzing noises come out and then it cuts to the car flipping yeah. <laughs> down a road and you're just like, wait, what's going on? And then you see Mark wake up and it, it you know, you, you just, it just kind of subtly throws you into these, um, these tangents, uh, whether it's the police investigation that's go- actually is going on before the start of the film or these like sort of little psychological indicators that maybe Mark is, is going a little too deep down the rabbit hole in terms yeah. of his connection with Henry. Yeah, for sure. And it lets the audience, you know, think for, for itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the scariest things is just thinking, okay, he's driving mm-hmm. the police undercover detective is driving out to the suspect's house. And then he turns around in his car and leaves the suspect there. <laughs> what if the suspect follows him? Right. Right. And you just start thinking that. And then it goes back to, Mark frame the police detective's house where you see his personal life. He has a, a young boy, right. Mm-hmm. Who he lives with mm-hmm. and the young boy plays hide and seek and goes out into the, the front area of the house there and he can't find him, and he mm-hmm. freaks out mm-hmm. because, and that's never been, it never was stated before that, that he, he didn't say on like CB radio, Oh, I hope he's not following me or anything. It's just something you, you, you think could happen. Right. And then it's like, oh man, is he there? Did he abduct this child? Um, but, <laughs> and, and, but the, the, the right makes you, makes you think that too, because the first couple of scenes um, were it, there's one with Paul and then there's one with Mark where they drop off Henry. And then um, it has the point of view of the rear view mirror. So the car is driving away and you're watching Henry where he's been dropped off in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, is he getting into like a car to maybe follow? Like, you know, what's and there's this kind yeah. of like just moment of relief. It's like, okay, we've got the guy out of the car and I I can now return to, you know, whatever normal life um, I have. It's it's yeah. it's it's subtle, but it's really effective. Yeah, for sure. And I think not to like the movie, I like that. It's really disciplined. It could have used yeah. maybe a few more moments like that. Cause that, that kind of freaked, freaked me out. Right. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The night, the nightmares are interesting, but a lot of films do that. It's like, Oh, you're having these nightmares about this, but the reality of he's got this dangerous offender who he's interacting with all the time. Yeah. And this guy could easily follow him or find out more or what happens if he gets onto this, Mr. Big procedure they're doing right and <laughs> plays along or something and mm-hmm. you know it's pr- pretty dangerous in reality right um, mm-hmm. the nightmares do add some nice effects to it but I think that's often a device it's like oh I'm I'm gonna have these nightmares now and it's like but they're so well, quick but, though they're, they're quick yeah. little scenes like and and nobody's like doing like amateur Freud hour with them it's just there's yeah. just like these quick little moments of like self-doubt self-reflection um fear it, and it's just it's over before you kind of realize it's a dream sequence which i appreciated 
yeah yeah that was good but the reality is yeah it's pretty can be pretty frightening and then like the police work it's really interesting for anybody who Mm -hmm. who's into that you might not even think you're into that sort of thing the sort of police procedural but it's really well done yeah what i what what i like about it is these guys aren't super cops and that's never mm -hmm. portrayed in the film like they're not like hey we're like super geniuses solving crimes and we could be you know like working doing anything else but we're just like super dedicated to solving crimes like no these guys are almost idiots um yeah well like that john john guy is a real blowhard right and he gets so nervous but that the, actually maybe the, helps with the confession right at, yeah. at the pivotal moment this guy is like clearly not ready for opening night and yeah. this is after we're introduced to him and he's like he's with like the he's telling this like elaborate story um they you know they they've brought henry to to victoria to sort of like goose him up a bit more to meet like the the big boss and um mark is brought into the this kitchen area of the hotel to, i guess to have like some sort of like meeting and talk about next steps and all that and here's this john guy like telling this like boisterous like self-aggrandizing story about another case and he's like giving mark the business like yeah i know that's your alias but what's your real name ah just kidding you know because <laughs> yeah. you know it's only your life at stake am i right um <laughs> yeah which is the total opposite way you need to be with this henry right you can't, right. <laughs> can't be that way and then you know and then in the pivotal moment like the, the the confession moment um he he's like dropping glasses and acting all nervous it's it's just it's 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 it's, it's a great little character detail that um that works yeah for sure it's like okay these like mark frame he's just seems he, you know he's a flawed individual but he seems mm. like his police work seems pretty spot on right and yeah. then you see that you know you have a team that large working on something there's going to be uh chinks in the armor kind of thing right <laughs> yeah <So>, um <gasps> and then the like you said when it the other reveal when it goes back to before he gets on the bus mm. right to to the detective work for that and kate rylett the detective kate rylett who mm -hmm. knows he's done this but she doesn't have enough evidence and they have to let him go mm -hmm. and um just how dedicated she is to to this investigation and it's uh yeah really really compelling to watch and then later on she's there when he gives his confession like everyone's in the back just waiting for him to give that confession when he does there's that sense of relief mm. but then there's another wrinkle it's like a confession in an undercover operation that isn't as good as actual physical evidence so yeah there's... and this is this is kind of where i wonder like how this the cinema story separates from like the real life case of of daniel uh mccomb um who, who this is uh, his murder is, is kind of what this is based on because uh, i don't know how you felt but there's this like kind of strong undercurrent that uh maybe he gives a false confession or like he i, I like i don't know there, there there's something about this like maybe this speaks to uh, some commentary rights making about just like the nature of this police work because there has been criticism about like the mr big method of extracted confessions um you know some talking about how it's, it's kind of entrapment um and again i don't know anything about the real life case but i do wonder if um if there is some sort of, of commentary there about like well did henry do it 
Um, he seems to know a lot about it, but on the other hand, he kind of seems kind of aloof about it. And to, to what degree is he like maybe confessing to this because he thinks going back to jail is inevitable. So he might as well just get it over with. And, um, you know, the, the way that Mark, Mark frame sort of weeps at the end, um, and the way he's kind of like standing guard outside his house in the very last scene makes you wonder is like, does he feel like he got the right person? Um, or maybe he just feels guilty because he, you know, led Henry on. I mean, there's a lot of ambiguity here, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't quite get that. I thought mm. it would be an interesting wrinkle if they did have like s- something like mm. that. Like they could have mm. made this more complex, but it would go against sort of the disciplined way they, they all told the story. It's, Mm. You know, they, they have flashbacks and, and stuff, but it's almost a real point A to point B sort of story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, Henry could have been onto it and played along, or he might've, yeah, given a confession under duress and said I was under duress. And, but I, what I got more from, I think they're trying to make more of a psychological point here um, mm. that Mark frame having had, identify with this monster for such an extended period he was pretty drained by it Mm. um and i don't know if they make a perfect point when it comes to this but i think that i think that's what they're getting at and that also he's having to like go into this other area of his psyche to to relate to him um and there are some disturbing things other than that nightmare where uh henry's screaming at him there's also like Henry, like touching him inappropriately in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, you know, it's probably just draining on him and having to like, like method act that whole time. Right. Right. Um, it's pretty draining. And then thinking of his child at home, that's real. The, you know, correlation to that. He's this child at home and this is a child murderer. So he's just, the fact that he had spent so much time with him and ingratiated himself with him, you know, really draining. Oh yeah. I, I'm not saying there's much ambiguity, but you know, it's interesting that includes this whole scene where it's like, there's kind of the one supervisor who's like, yeah, all this circumstantial stuff lines up. You've made a good circumstantial case, but we still have like no evidence at all. And it just felt like Wright was saying like, and maybe it's a commentary on on like the police work itself. It's like, well, look at all, like, look at look at this massive operation to get this guy to yeah. uh, to confess to a murder. Um, and and at the end of the day, there's still like no like solid. Here's this thing that proves this guy did it, other than his confession, which you know, you there there, such a thing as false confessions do happen, and I. I I, I wasn't left with the impression that he didn't do it at the end of the movie, but I was left the impression like this is probably not the way to do, to go about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it, it made me think almost in a, in a cynical way, like mm. this boy was murdered mm-hmm. and they want to find the killer and other children are, are killed, but this must have really uh, been in the news in Australia, right. For this mm. sort of, these mm-hmm. sort of resources. And like at the end, when they're searching the, the hill there and going through the dirt and everything, mm. um, there's just 
seems like there's hundreds of people involved, maybe thousands of people involved in this operation, right? Yeah. And I I think I haven't just on Wikipedia, I saw it's based on a true story, true true book. So I think they did invest all, all these resources, which if they did indeed find the killer, that that's great. But it just makes you think like, wow, this really was like yeah. top priority for the police department. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's more of a commentary on process, and and that also makes it kind of an interesting Netflix artifact too. Because it, as we we're talking about before the the show, like or maybe at the beginning of the show, you know, so much of Netflix is like this true crime. You know, we're, we're we've gotten all the investigators and all the family people, and we're, we're like painstakingly going over what happened on day one, day two, day ten, day one hundred, and and this is. It, it, this is almost like the exact opposite of that. This is like, well, there was no direct path from day one to day 100 or point A to point B. And it, it, it seems like it's almost like a, a commentary on the, the normal, the normal way that Netflix, you know, does like law and order and crime stuff. It, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure anyone was thinking that. I think this was a, like kind of a big splash at con and Netflix got out its checkbook, but <laughs> it's, it is interesting to look at it through sort of those lenses as well. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to think if there there's more behind it, because that's an interesting thing with a film like this, because so much is left unsaid in the film. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're wondering, you know, was there other motives behind, behind this, um, you know, other points that they want to make with it. Um, and that's, that's great that everyone thinks that way and you have a different, everyone have different opinions and what, what they take out of it. Um, yeah. unlike you're saying those big budget pl- cop movies or whatever where it's yeah. like it's pretty obvious <laughs> what's going on right and y- yeah you can you can see how it it's all put together but this one yeah like what truly is the psychology there's luckily there's no like voiceover or anything yeah. to explain yeah. yeah yeah that 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 really helps because then you can just bring bring what you see to it because they right. could have easily had a voiceover for the detective and then it's like okay um this explains everything right and yeah yeah that's I, I like movies that don't explain everything yeah yeah, yeah uh, i agree and um yeah leave that to the people who make the youtube videos about like the ending of this movie explained you know that's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i hate those anyway uh it was a good poll even if i forgot that i put it on the list of poll so that's that as they say is that and that's keep it, doing for it this- adam keep doing Thank you. That's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And you can listen to it again by finding it on our website and creditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcasting app on Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in Spotify. We're also on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you out there in the internets? Yeah, online find Flash in the Deadpan on social media. And uh, yeah, send me a message if you want to talk. 
<laughs> and not just about crime stuff. Um, no, that's not my forte. Not my forte. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics with the 400th episode of Open Source as well for Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca, and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. <laughs>